0: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know how to help you. Now, here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer
1: Show. Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Johnny Lynham. He is a real estate entrepreneur and expert, author of a new book called Millionaire Real Estate Success Strategies What They Forgot to Teach You in School. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Johnny. Thank you, Jordan. Glad to be here with you today. Just give us a brief uh, history of how you got to where you are today. We'll get into the real estate detail, but just give us a brief, brief biography.
2: Yeah. So come to you by way of uh, lower Alabama the other L.A., not Los Angeles. Um, You know, humble beginnings grew up. Um, My dad was a pastor there. Mom um, worked in the hospital as a phlebotomist, and, uh, you know, just humble beginnings and, you know, I always kind of excelled academically, was able to get a few scholarships, and I went off to the University of Alabama um, in 2000 to study uh, electrical engineering. And from there, um, I was fortunate enough to um, be given an Air Force ROTC scholarship and uh, went through that program five years and commissioned as an officer in 2005. And, you know, been going on that journey ever since, a little bit now from over serving. uh, 17 years, a couple deployments here and there, moving all around the country and, uh, you know, picking up real estate along the way as well, too. So why did you pick
1: real estate as a way to become an entrepreneur? What was the attraction of real estate?
2: Great question, because with me, I. Um, my dad was an entrepreneur and, uh, you know, at a small level, but I, I really didn't have a strong financial literacy background. You know, I tell people in my book about, you know, my experience with coming on active duty and commissioning that I had to have a family member sign on my uh, my lease for my first apartment because my credit was uh, bad. And, uh, you know, and it just came from, I didn't know about credit. I didn't know about stocks and bonds. I didn't know about real estate investing or anything. But, you know, that, that was an extremely humbling feeling. Even though I had a degree, I didn't know how those things that I need to know about financial literacy in order to, to invest and grow and build wealth over time. And so for me, after using my VA loan, buying a house about a year later and uh, just taking advantage of the opportunity to step out on faith because I didn't know all the answers. I, you know, a, a friend presented the opportunity to me and I was like, well, you know, it's three hundred dollars cheaper than what I'm paying for rent right now. And I can rent it out when I leave because I know I'm leaving in a couple years. So it made sense. And after that, I just started consuming more content and um, becoming more and more educated on, you know, other successful real estate investors in the past, looking back at how have people leveraged real estate to build wealth. And um, and I've been hooked ever since. So what is the size of your
1: portfolio? And
2: give us a sense of how successful you've been. Sure. Yeah. So right now we own 112 units uh, with a valuation a little bit over $10 million dollars. And, uh, you know, primarily uh, comprised of multifamily, but we have some single family rentals as well, too, um, kind of spread across the state of Alabama and then Panama City, Florida uh, for the majority of our assets. And, uh, you know, and it's just kind of it's been a process over the years, just continuing to build up uh, with well over half of that really being added to the portfolio in just the last couple years. So. Um, Definitely just kind of it starts, but then once you figure it out, you get systems in place, you build a team that you can really kind of start accelerating that wealth building journey. Let's
1: kind of take an overall look at the real estate market now. Interest rates have obviously gone up a lot. Mortgage rates have been about 3 percent. Now they're about 6 or 7 percent. Some people say that that's really caused the real estate market to slow down dramatically. Kind of give us an overall assessment of the real estate market today.
2: Yeah, I think right now, um, it's, it's definitely the tail of two different markets. When you start looking at uh, luxury, um, you, we have an increase in supply of, across the nation. But when you start digging a little deeper, it's the tail of two markets where we see a lot of the uh, more expensive homes in the markets, um, the luxury homes, that supply has really, really gone up. But when we start looking at those those prices around the median income are a little bit less than for the, the median sales price, excuse me, in different areas. Those first-time home buyers are still pinched. There's still a low amount of inventory um, that the first-time home buyer is, has available to them. And so I think right now what we're seeing in our markets is low inventory uh, at the bottom end of the market. And we see we're projecting that we're going we're going to continue to to do deals at that level and have more demand compared to at the higher prices that right now those homeowners that's looking to move up in size of uh, properties, they've, they're they locked in on very, very low interest rates across the board. So a lot of people are just sitting out uh, from, a, from a seller's perspective, and they're just gonna hold tight with their low interest rates where they are right now and not look to move up into other houses, which I think is gonna continue to exacerbate the supply problem that we're gonna have um, for inventory for yes. at least for the next couple of years. A long-term
1: situation that the sellers or the homeowners have three and four percent interest rates and if they were to sell they would then get a new home at six or seven percent interest rates and they don't want to do that so what normally would be coming on the market is not coming on the market because of interest rates is that what you're saying correct correct yeah so okay so now you're buying homes mostly single-family homes not apartment buildings is that right
2: we buy, we buy a mixture of both. Um, last year, the majority of our uh, acquisitions were on the multifamily side, um, kind of in the Montgomery, Alabama area. But we continue to buy single family, uh, wherever the deal is called. Right now, we're just doing great deals. It's kind of what we're doing. Uh, we're still doing off market um, lead generation for deals on both single family and multifamily. So but the big thing is really looking at cash flow and the opportunity where we can kind of minimize our risk exposure with, with the uncertain times because, you know, you don't know where rates are going. And so you just have to underwrite conservatively and uh, just do really good deals right now in this environment.
1: Now, one of the things that's changed the real estate market, particularly for single family homes recently, has been institutional investors coming in, buying entire neighborhoods with cash. For real estate investment trusts or hedge funds or you know big investors, so that individuals who want to buy homes put down twenty percent are competing against these
2: Wall Street giants. Are you seeing that in the markets as well? We are. We are. Uh, you know, I, I just literally had a conversation today with an investor in the Fayetteville market, and he was sharing a story where he uh, he had a fire damage to his duplex, went through the insurance claim, they rebuilt the duplex, and so he decided to sell it. And uh, his list price was three hundred thousand, and he had a cash offer that came in at two hundred and ninety-five thousand, and it was a local bank uh, that the realtor shared with him. It was a local bank that wanted to buy the asset. that They had. they were liquid had liquid assets, and they just wanted to start pick up rentals in the area. So we always hear about the hedge funds, but right now even local banks. Are trying to get cash off their balance sheets and just get quality assets to kind of hedge against inflation. So I think we've seen it across the board, even in like smaller markets like Fayetteville, North Carolina, but also uh, you know in markets where we operate, Birmingham, uh, Montgomery, that you still see a lot of the hedge funds coming in and buying large amounts of real estate, especially in areas where they can get a lot, get cash flow. And I think a lot of people now looking at some of the uh, the southeast markets where you still have a, a lot of affordability. But you, you have a lot of cash flow being able to get into some of these deals. and So I think that's very, very attractive to, to investors across the board.
1: One big uh, news event, I guess you might say, the last three years was the pandemic. And they put in the moratorium on uh, evictions and foreclosures. Uh, is there a long term impact from that? Do you think it may, brings a risk to real estate that didn't exist before?
2: Well, I think that one's definitely probably still still to be to be determined Um, just with a lot of the policy changes that happen that uh, who knows when you start changing wholesale policies across the nation for multiple years at a time, what the long term effects will be. But I think definitely uh, not having as many REOs coming to that's that's another uh, deal flow potential of uh, distressed assets that was removed from the market that you traditionally see. And I think those changes that, you know, it's always good to, to keep homeowners in the home if you can. But I think certain situations that the banks are just kind of working through different ways where they cannot repeat a, a 08 scenario where they have a lot of bad debt on their balance sheets. And so they can work and renegotiate terms with owners to kind of help them get through a rough patch. And I think they're more willing to do that now versus taking on all these REOs. Um and having on their balance sheets for multiple years, so I think it's still to be determined how that impacts the market. But I think it definitely it definitely hits hard at the supply that that's just one less supply source of of inventory that's coming to the market right now at a time where we're we're still I think millions behind where we need to be just for uh, demand. So that's on the foreclosure side. How about the rent eviction
1: moratorium? How did that affect landlords?
2: Yeah, well, I think it, it, I think with that one, it's a tale of um, you know where where you live geographically, you know, and the the politics with um, who's in office. That we saw a lot of the Democratic states that implemented policies with the moratoriums, where they um, you know people could still stay in the house even though they weren't paying rent, you know, for over well over a year, and that really put landlords in a crunch. And you know, states like Florida, Alabama, Georgia that were more uh, landlord friendly, where. You know, if you once at least went past uh, one year, month to month, that if somebody stopped paying, that you still had the uh, you still had the right to evict them out the property during even during the pandemic. And I think that's one of the things that uh, just depending on where you own at and uh, the leadership there dictates, you know, those type of uh, policies that could definitely impact you as a landlord. Whereas if you have all your you're not diversified, and you have all of your your portfolio in one jurisdiction. That takes that that stand and you have a large, a large uh, contingent of your residents decide not to pay you that they can put you in a crunch. And especially when we start talking about a prolonged time frame that they can definitely uh, wipe out, wipe out somebody in their portfolio. If they're overexposed in an area like that. Did that impact you? Did you have
1: people who didn't pay during the pandemic and they were protected by the eviction moratorium?
2: We had we had one individual. And that was one thing. That's a great question, because we picked up 18 unit apartment in Panama City, Florida, um, right there in June of 2020, kind of right after the pandemic had kicked off. And one of our strategies was to uh, partner with uh, Section 8 there with the housing authority to kind of mitigate that situation happening with us. Uh, we had one, you know, one resident that comes to mind that didn't pay, that actually had to be evicted. And we had one other that had stopped paying, but magically, when we came, came up to the eviction, you know, and they were three months behind, they found the money all of a sudden in less than three days to, to catch up their rent. So we we definitely were blessed throughout that whole that whole uh situation ordeal with the pandemic, where we weren't really impacted by by residents not choosing not to pay. So that definitely was a blessing.
1: Yeah. Your website to find out more about what you do is johnnylinham.com. Tell us briefly
2: what people can find at your website. Sure. Yep, that's correct. Yep. So johnnylinham.com, that's all all my offers and offerings with my community. I love to work with veterans and uh, busy working professionals to help them build a cash flow and portfolio. That's kind of my... Uh, my, my service because us as, uh, you know, not only just the military side, but government, civilians, contractors, everybody work so hard in defense of our nation. But a lot of times we don't have time to focus on our portfolio, on our wealth. And so that's something that I'm passionate about with just education education um, when it comes to uh, wealth creation, especially when it's lever- talking about leveraging real estate on the single family and multifamily side. And so I have I put on boot camps virtually and in person. And uh, just all kind of opportunities where I bring on other investors across my network to put on workshops just to educate the masses. So definitely Um, You can connect with us there and then our REI Genius community as well, too.
1: Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Johnny Linham. He is a real estate investor, an expert also in the military and the Air Force. He's put out a new book called Millionaire Real Estate Success Strategies what they forgot to teach you in school. You can find out more at his website at Johnny com. We'll be back after this.
3: Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet. It's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one
4: It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time.
3: We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business
0: Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Johnny Lynham, a real estate expert also in the Air Force. He's put out a new book called Millionaire Real Estate Success Strategies, What They Forgot to Teach You in School his website, johnnylinem.com. Welcome back to the show, Johnny. Glad to be back, Jordan. So you're talking in the beginning about today's successful millionaire. What should we know about
2: how millionaires are being created today in real estate? Well, I think right now, you know, as you look at it, that, you know, I think it was Andrew Carnegie that said that 90% of uh, millionaires were created through real estate. You know, and that quote is from way back when, you know, but I think it's still relevant today. And, you know, for me personally, I just saw that, you know, you know, real estate it was something that's been around a long time. And it's like, OK, I think this is my way to create wealth. And I see a lot of people that that are doing the same thing, whereas that you can you can buy low, sell high. Um, you can own when you look at the IRS code. Uh, real estate is one of the most tax advantages, tax advantaged vehicles out there um, from a uh, depreciation. There's not too many assets that you can buy that, that goes up. That's uh, with value. That's a hedge against inflation. But in the eyes of the IRS, they actually depreciate it over time um, that you own it. And so for me, you know, I, I looked at the different strategies. You know, whether small family, I mean, single family with the rental or multifamily real estate. That there's there's strategies across the board. But I think investors today that they're, uh, they're definitely more they're smarter. Um, they're looking for more diversification. With technology right now, I think you have more control more than any time in the past. Whereas that you can diversify, you can be more hands on and drive your investments. Uh, I think there's more and more money now flooding into self-directed IRAs than any time before now. And so I just think as, a, as an investor today in America that are really globally that they're with the access to information and, uh, you know, more uh, exposure for its funds, you know, now. That a lot of the the investment vehicles the past that were reserved for you know only accredited investors and investors that had the inside knowledge to invest in that a lot of those deals now with syndications and uh, funds of funds are being available to just kind of you know the normal Joe Blow if you will um out there so I think it's just a great opportunity right now. So you talk about the
1: law of the first deal for so somebody who has not done a real estate deal before who doesn't have a network doesn't have a team how can they get started in the real estate the way you started
2: at one point i think really when you when you start to un, unfold that that piece of getting that first deal and i look back in my situation that uh, there's a proliferation of information out there right now whether it's you know youtube you know great shows like our show we're talking right now talking about the strategies and concepts that the information is there but i think most people lack the uh the ability, the discipline, if you will, to take action, to, to move on that information. Because I'm a true believer, you know, information without action is just entertainment. That yeah, you you got to take an, take action on this education, of the information out there, if you want to move the needle on where you are in your life. And so I think for the first deal, that really aligning with, uh, you know, your long term goals, understanding where you want to be from a passive income perspective, but then also seeking out Mentorship, networking, and opportunities in your local area. You know, getting out there, getting belly to belly with uh, other individuals that have been there, done that, that are successful at doing what it is that you want to do. Whether it's flipping houses, is picking up rental properties and um, um, building a portfolio that way, or if it's buying uh, small apartment buildings, that just find that niche, find that group of individuals with that that same goal and that same uh, that have been successful at that. And I think really align yourself because, you know, being along the ride with other people, and I'm a true believer, proximity is power. And uh, the more people that you hang around, the average of the the five people that you spend the most time around, that, that are they're going to have the largest impact on your life. So I think getting around the right people in that network is the key to actually getting that first deal and getting going.
1: Do you think it should always be equity or it should be debt? I mean, some people say that mortgage notes is the way to get started in real estate.
2: Uh, I think it depends on your on your starting point, because really, as an investor, it's going to come down to your access to resources, whether it's time or whether it's money and just kind of understanding where you are. If you don't have a lot of time and you got a lot of money, then, you know, there's a certain approach that you can take. But vice versa, if you don't have a lot of money, but you have a lot of time that you can approach it from a different angle um, in order to be successful. Um, so I think it just kind of depends on where you are and uh What works best for you and the resources you have at your disposal? Because at the end of the day, you're investing. You need to make sure that whatever it is that you're signing up for, for your approach, that you can consistently show up and execute on a daily basis where you're not something that you have to, you know, three, four months in, you're burned out. It doesn't work for your lifestyle. That is something that's taken away from your your energy source, where you create most of your wealth and uh, resources from then it's not going to be able to something that you can sustain long term. So I think it just kind of depends on where you're starting from. But notes is a great way, um, I think, for someone to get started and uh, without being a whole lot of hands on. They don't have to, you know, go and physically touch it. They can just work the paper and not really worry about the, uh, you know, turning over a, a flip project or a home renovation project, whereas they can just worry about the monthly payments coming in. Yeah. You have a chapter called Take
1: Action. So how can people overcome their inertia, their fear to actually do things instead of just read about it and never actually take any uh, positive action?
2: I think, you know, looking at that one, that uh, each and every individual that it, it takes a transformation because I'm a true believer that in order to get to where you want to go, that you're going to have to change who you are today, because everything that has happened in your life, everything that you have overcome, everything that you have learned has been enough to get you where you are today but go to that next level where you want to go that uh, you're going to have to transform who you are so i think really understanding that and knowing that you're going to have to learn how to become comfortable being uncomfortable and you know and taking taking this knowledge and information and implementing that hey faith is a, a action word and so you're going to, there's going to be some faith in stepping out into the unknown but i think pointing back to that network and being around uh, like-minded investors a community to support you is like now you're going you're not going through that journey alone and I think that's the biggest piece because when you bring in the accountability and having other individuals that's vested in your success that it just goes a whole lot um for us building up that strength and we talked about the law of the first deal once you get that experience and that confidence to move forward and do more deals to do larger deals that I think is just kind of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point.
1: So how do you build up that team? If you don't have a team, how do you build up that team, that accountability team to help you move forward and actually put
2: this into action? No, great question, because uh, I think a lot of people, they they look at it and like, well, I, I don't have anybody around me that's an investor. And I think for the most part, we start talking about entrepreneurship um, or any type of niche that a lot of times, just depending on your background, you may not have a lot of individuals around you that's interested in uh, in that that facet of entrepreneurship or real estate investing, in this case, but I think really just seeking out, just simply Meetup.com is a great resource. Just just finding um individuals that are meeting up, talking about something that you're you know interested in. In this case, real estate investing. Facebook groups. Um, there's uh, you know, my REI R- R- Genius community. We love we love to have hungry people, people that are interested in learning information, but also in taking action. And so there's communities out there. You just got to seek them out. And especially now with technology and, you know, you can virtually meet with somebody that's focused on buying in Atlanta. If you're looking at purchasing in Atlanta, you can find meetups in Atlanta. You can attend virtually. And then, you know, maybe once a quarter you go in person and meet hand in hand and talk and have conversations with people and just grow relationships. So I think really just align with those organizations and mastermind groups. Um, You can join um, clubs um, local RIAs, Real Estate Investor Association, where they have uh, sanctioned RIAs in certain areas um, that they sponsor that you can kind of come in and, and get the education, but also make the connections that you need to uh, to kind of help you hold you accountable and help you kind of, And that, with all this stuff as an investor, you want to minimize your risk. And I think with just having more people that you can ask questions and learn from, it just it minimizes your risk overall um, to, to make sure that you're successful. You have a whole chapter on goal
1: setting, So why is it important to set goals when you're getting into the real estate business?
2: Well, I think, number one, um, if you you don't have goals, you don't you won't know where you're going. If you don't don't have a strategy, then, um, you know, any road will get you there. And uh, and I always like to tell people, like, the last thing that you want to do is have your ladder up against the wrong house. And, uh, you know, when you're looking at it, it's like, okay. You got to understand where you're going, because if you don't have a you don't have a strategy for your life, there's somebody else out here that's going to find one for you and they're going to have a job for you. And, you know, they're going to help you build on whatever their their vision was for the company to come kind of cast that. So I think really it comes down to understanding, hey, where do I want to be 10, 15 years from now, 20 years, 30 years from now, which I think is a really is a struggle in our society today. Just based off where we are um, with a, a I would call it a microwave uh, culture where we got to have everything right now, instant gratification, and um, you know, you you see it with just the uh, the proliferation of credit, buy now, pay later, and uh, all the uh, consumerism that our our um, economy is based off of. That a lot of people they're not forthcoming and looking long term, um, and having that that investor mindset with looking further down down the line. And so I think really kind of bringing that culture into the goals, goal setting piece, bringing it in to kind of think for a minute and stop and say, hey, what am I actually building for? Because I think now if you really do that, that it allows you to stop and look at your actions today in the moment, and say, hey, is this really moving me towards my goal of where I want to be six months from now, a year from now, five years from now? And it's not. Then maybe I need to revisit this. And, and maybe not. This isn't a priority for me now if it's not helping me get closer to my goal. But if you don't have that, then you'll just go through life. And 10 years from now, you'll be in the same place, like essentially just running on a treadmill or sitting in a rocking chair that you're taking. You're, you have action. You're moving, but you're not making any progress. You're not going anywhere. Just so saying it's important
1: to have a long term view. With real estate, I mean, some people get into it for flips and you know, kind of short-term gain. You think it's better to have a long-term view when you invest in real estate.
2: Hundred percent, hundred percent, I agree. Because when you start looking at like the, the the long-term benefits of real estate, it's geared for those that hold hold long-term. When you start looking at the depreciation, um, how the taxes, you know, if you flip a house and you sell it with less than a year, then it's going to be taxed as ordinary income. And so that's why I tell people it's OK to flip. And I have a, still have my flipping business in Panama City. But the goal with that is to take that income and pool it together to buy small apartment buildings where we can uh, we can achieve 100 percent bonus depreciation. We can bring in other strategies, whereas that we're wiping out the benefits. Uh, we're bringing in the benefits of long term ownership that are going to outweigh that near term um uh, the tax tax hit that you're going to hit with the flip. So I think really looking long term and uh, the appreciation over time, um, the pay down of the debt with uh, from your residents. And then they also with inflation, you look at, you know, the, the Fed's goal is 2% a year. So across 10 years, the dollar is going to lose 20% of its value over a decade. So now you look at long-term ownership, you're paying down that debt over time with dollars that are worthless um, with your residents paying. And then as the, the, the value of the, the building goes up over time, that you're going to benefit from that and appreciation. And the great part with it, with the debt, that the bank doesn't participate in all that appreciation, that you're paying them down. But guess what? That increase in value over time is all yours as the owner, which is just, uh, which is great, and is how you build well. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money
1: Answer Show. My guest this hour is Johnny Lynam. He's a real estate investor, also in the Air Force. He's got a new book out called Millionaire Real Estate Success Strategies. What They Forgot to Teach You in School, his website, johnnylytum.com. We'll be back after this.
3: Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now, toll free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Johnny Lynham, a real estate expert, also in the Air Force. He's got a book out called Millionaire Real Estate Success Strategies, What They Forgot to Teach You in School. Welcome back to the show, Johnny. Yeah. Glad to be back, Jordan. Why are they not teaching this in school? I mean, There's all kinds of business schools and so on. Why is this not being taught in schools?
2: That's a great question. I'm not sure. Um, I think you see you see more so now that, uh, you know, private schools that they're advancing their curriculum to include more on the investing side. But it's funny. It's like we look at uh, the hierarchy of needs that one of the, the primary needs is housing to have a shelter over your head. Yet we go through 12 years of education and nobody teaches you how to buy a house that uh, and how to provide, you know, what that what does that look like? What are, what are the interest rates? How are they going to underwrite you? What is your, why is your credit score important? You would think that that would be a fundamental uh, piece of information that they would just share across, you know, all the K through 12, where people just understand and they, they kind of when they leave out of, you uh, high school that they understand, hey, how the process works to buy a house, but that, that doesn't happen. And uh, I'm not sure why, but I know that's one of the things now. It's like, okay, let's focus on the solution versus the problem. And how do we get after it? And I think that's one of the things now with just uh, being able to promote financial literacy and promote shows like yours to just share with people so they can get that education if they're not getting into school and just figuring out how to help people move the needle in their lives and just kind of understand that there's a better way, whereas that they don't have to trade their time for money their entire life and work to their diet, that there's ways that you can learn how you can make money in your sleep. So you have a whole chapter what you call grit. So how do you
1: need grit in, in being a successful real estate
2: investor? Well, I think Mike Tyson said it best, that everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, that uh, life, life happens. And that uh, you got to have a plan. you know, in the Air Force, that we say flexibility is key to air power. But that um, at the end of the day, life has a vote. The enemy has a vote when you're going to, going to war, and so you're gonna have to make adjustments along the way. Everything's not gonna happen as you wanted to uh, to kind of lay out. And um, you know, and it, and it happens that way. And, but you got to understand that everything that's happened to you this far in your life that you've overcome overcame it and anything that comes before you now is not going to be fatal. It's not going to be final that you have what it what it takes to be successful um, whenever you face adversity. You know, whether it's uh, losing a contract at the at the 11th hour or if it's, uh, you know, finding you know, termites as you're going through the renovation. You know, you open up a wall that you didn't know ahead of time that you didn't plan for. And so it's just being able to have contingencies and then understand and having the wherewithal, that yeah it sucks but you've been there done that you got what it takes to be successful and just having that confidence because uh if not then you know life will break you down if you let it that we're all gonna go through some things you know losing loved ones uh you know know, jobs or deals falling through and a lot things just not happening how you want it so i think it's all about knowing that having that perspective and and that grit to get through it to know that hey you're built from a cloth that's able to 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 be more than a conqueror and being able to step into it and uh, and execute and do do whatever it is that you need to do and that's when you start talking about real estate investing that uh, they you want to make sure that you have somebody that's that's been seasoned that's been through some things and that you know that hey when times get tough they're not they're not going to tuck and fold that they're going to be there to see it through.
1: You talk about the three F's of real estate fraud, flood, and fire. How do you deal with those three? Insurance.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. For one, definitely you want to have insurance um, and, and coverage because you don't want to be overly exposed to those risks. And uh, I think insurance is definitely number one with those. But then also, just being able to, you know, when those situations happen, to be able to take care of it. And a lot of times that we talk about, you know, the insurance to cover us as the investor and the, uh, the asset. But then also um, for the resident that that is there, too, that's being impacted because we are a home provider. Um, somebody is calling that, that those four walls that we own a home. And so being able to make sure that one, that uh, that they have renter's insurance, but then, two that they're covered and we're, we're kind of keeping them at top of mind when we're going through and making sure that their family is taken care of and provided for. Um, because those situations do happen. But that's why, like we said, we have insurance and you're prepared for those where you're not overly exposed and uh, and kind of left vulnerable uh, when those situations happen because life happens.
1: But particularly with floods. And we've had a lot of floods lately. Uh, do you think everybody should always have uh, flood insurance?
2: I think you you really, you know, FEMA has the 100-year floodplain and they have data out there and information. But a lot of times, you know, even I I look at an example of uh, living through Hurricane Michael and just looking at how that situation happened. Whereas that, you know, roofs collapsed and water came in, which, okay now is water damage, but it wasn't a flood. Or, you know, water came in, but, you know, it wasn't coming in through the front door. And so there's a lot of nuances with that. And a lot of times the water, you know, it wasn't natural that, you know, a drain stopped up and areas that were, you know, weren't in a traditional floodplain were flooded because drains were stopped up with debris and things like happening. So it was just a whole whole new landscape of people who never even thought that they needed flood insurance, that their homes actually flooded and they weren't protected because who knew that the storm drainage was going to back up like that and all the, you know, and that, that level of rain coming in at one time. And yeah. so... You, you just it's, it's definitely a risk that you take, um, but we don't we definitely don't care because it's expensive to carry flood flood insurance on every asset. Um, but those that have been identified in the floodplain, we definitely um, look at those. And I think as you you have situations and um, disasters happen that you kind of take a look across the board to just see, hey, are we uh, protected from a risk management perspective um, as we should be? And do we need to make any changes? But a lot of times that's that's kind of hindsight. Uh, unfortunately for a lot of people. You have a whole
1: chapter on financing real estate deals. So let's just go through some of the things that, what you just kind of what is the key to creative financing?
2: Um it it starts with you. You're only limited by um your brain and your your options that you can come up with with the creative finance and that um a lot of times you you, you don't even think of deals but it's really just whatever you can agree to between the buyer and seller. That works. That's a win win for everybody. You know, whether it looks like uh, seller financing, where the owner doesn't have a mortgage and they can become the bank and you give them a uh, a down payment and then they finance the rest internally. Or if it's, uh, you know, a subject to deal where you have a you have someone maybe in pre foreclosure and you pay you make up their payments and you take title to the property in a trust or land trust. And um, you you keep the existing debt in place and you make the payments. And so especially when you start looking at where we are now, where, you know, over 80 percent of Americans have a sub five percent interest rate on their home. That, uh, you know, being able to have different strategies like that and be creative allows you to get in deals with not a lot of capital up front. And within in this case, you know, you could get some low interest debt that you can carry that's already in place that you don't have to qualify for. Um, You know, with your own personal credit. So different strategies like that on the creative side. And uh, you're really just limited to how you want to approach the deal. And uh, and I think that's the thing. Just being around more and more investors and listening to investors that you um, you learn what's going out there. You know, one great deal that we did with uh, our 18 unit. That, you know, going to the, the the Tuesday morning meetup at the breakfast spot with all the old investors, the older guys, you know, been there, done that. A lot of them retired. And they one guy was sharing how he took over an insurance claim when he bought a property. And so, I, like, oh, that sounds cool. And so sure enough, we were buying an 18 unit and it had an open insurance claim. And I said, hey, do you mind if we take over the insurance claim, too? And we ended up bringing in additional $50,000 that we could bring into the property to renovate by just taking over the claim. And it was 50K that they had left over on the insurance policy. So, you know, just things like that with strategies that you can kind of be creative and think outside the box um, in order to get deals done. You also talk about local lender
1: partnerships as a way of financing properties. How does that work?
2: No, your, your lender is one of the, uh, you know, starting off real estate is a, is a true team sport and your your lender, local lender is going to be a great, um, a great team member of your team if you for you to be successful. And so I think just just starting those relationships up front, you know, uh, understanding their underwriting process of, hey, what all do they need to underwrite me as an individual to underwrite my LLC? Um am having that up front even before you get a deal where they have already approved you for a certain amount and uh, they know what you're looking for. You shared your business plan or your vision, your goals that you have for you and the company and what you're trying to do in the local community. And then from there, it's just really, you know, as you, Go on. You bring deals to them and the funding process. Having that relationship goes a long way. It allows you to move with speed. It allows you to be um, have some predictability for your lender partner on what you can do. So now when you're out negotiating deals, it gives you that much more confidence um, that you can close. And then the terms that you can negotiate because you already had those conversations. You know what they're looking for for is underwriting. And so that you know that the deal is going to pencil out. When you go through and uh, create your performer for what you think the deal would be able to do when you you go in and execute your business plan. And so I think, that, you know, all those things go hand in hand with having a banker. that Actually, you can put a name with a face, you know, compared to some of the larger banks, you know, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, that, you, you know, you're truly just a number. If you're not, you know, moving tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars as a client that you can kind of just get lost. And in the sauce, and there's really not a, that that um, that relationship behind it. Whereas that they can look at you and understand, hey, yep, yeah, this doesn't meet the ratio on paper where we wanted to be, but this this client has great experience. They have multiple loans with us already. We have a good relationship. We feel comfortable with the risk um, being where it is right now with them, and we'll we'll still do the deal. And so I think having that relationship goes a long way um, to just being able to to get more deals done.
1: You talk about self-directed retirement accounts, IRAs, as a way of buying real estate. What are the pros uh, and cons of doing self-directed retirement accounts?
2: Yes, yes. self-directed IRAs, uh, they are a phenomenal opportunity for um, for individuals who may have a, uh, a retirement account with a previous employer where they can roll those funds over into an account now that they can self-direct. Um, and not just only be limited to whatever uh, products that the current provider or custodian has that they, that can offer them, um, which a lot of times is just only, you know, mutual, certain mutual funds uh, for the products that are allowed. But those self-directed IRA benefits, it allows you to direct your investments to things like real estate, uh, other asset classes outside of just traditional stocks and bonds and mutual funds um, that you tend to think about when you, when you think about your retirement account. So it allows you to get a uh a, a sense of diversification from the <clears throat> roller coaster of the stock market by being able to pick up, you know, cash flow and assets that you can pick up with owning um your, your IRA can actually own the property, own a single family house, a multifamily, or, you know, it can qualify for a loan where you only put 20% down, 25% down and you get a, a loan for the remaining balance um, to purchase real estate with your IRA. So that's a great opportunity with the diversification there. But then also it allows you to invest in notes or syndications, whereas that you're just becoming a, a debt provider or you're investing in an equity deal with syndications, whereas that now you're just directing your money into deals where you normally will uh, with this traditional syndication. You're going to be somewhere around a 20 percent internal rate of return. And so over five years, you're going to double your investment is uh, is most of the terms. The operator, that's what their goal is to, to return for the investors. So it's just some of those. Uh, atypical investments that you're normally not exposed to. But now you can invest and participate in those deals through your IRA. So I think those are some of the, the, the pros. Um, I think the cons are that now the, the onus is on you um, to have that knowledge, to, to being able to underwrite the deals, understand what you're investing in, that you don't have a, a fund manager or your pension plan provider that's going through and and investing on your behalf that now you're actually taking control of your investment so it does require you to have a little bit more knowledge uh, of information on the operator who's executing those deals but then also just the investment class itself and the business plan that they have before you so it does push a little bit back of the the, uh, the onus on the individual to make sure they know what they're doing and that they're uh, being able to properly underwrite the investment so they can make sure that they're managing their risk properly.
1: Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Johnny Lynam. His book is called Millionaire Real Estate Success Strategies, What They Forgot to Teach You in School. You can find out more at his website, johnnylinam.com. We'll be back after this
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan
5: Goodman. If you have a question
0: for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Johnny Lynam. He is a real estate investor, author of a book called Millionaire Real Estate Success Strategies, What They Forgot to Teach You in School. You can find out more at his website, JohnnyLinum Welcome back to the Char- show, Johnny. Hey, Jordan, glad to be back. You have a, a, a chapter on fix and flip and wholesaling, so let's talk about fix and flip, particularly in this environment. What are the pros and
2: cons of fix and flip? Well, I think definitely the pros are you're able you're able to make a you know a substantial amount of money in a short amount of time. Um, I think the the cons of that is uh, you gotta you gotta be good at what you do for it, the numbers, the underwriting. The analysis. Um, one of the things that we we leverage the 70% rule um, on most of our projects. We we will go up to 75%. Just depending on the uh, the attributes of the deal, if the the risk profile is low, then we'll we'll go up a little bit more on those for us the percentage. But essentially, where you want to be is you want to be able to purchase the property. You want to be able to go in and completely renovate it to 2023 standards, and you want to be at 70% of what the new after repair value is of the property. And so you understand those numbers that now, hey, if you understand how much it costs to fix the property up and now it allows you to say, hey, I know it'll be worth X amount when we finish. This is what I can pay for your your your, your house, Mr. Seller. And those different strategies behind that, that kind of goes into wholesaling as well, whereas wholesaling is just being able to find a deal on the front end. And then just let, have enough meat left on the bone where that investor can still come in around the 70, 75 percent rule, those numbers to make it work. And you you be able to um, walk away with the profit as that spread in between. And so I think that's the biggest thing that comes down for both of those. They got to be they got to be able to be good at marketing. And so being able to get distressed assets, understand where where those sellers are, whether it's tired landlords, uh, someone going through a divorce, someone downsizing uh someone may inherit a property through the probate process pre-foreclosure uh you know a vacant house it's just all type of different life situations that are centered around real estate where you can find these uh off-market deals that allow you to be profitable um to do a fix and flip or in this case you know to get the property under contract for a great price and being able to wholesale it and um and make profit on the spread you need a motivated seller is the key to those
1: strategies is that right correct but you were saying earlier that there's not a lot of those around, that a lot of sellers are holding on to their homes now. So is is it where to find motivated
2: sellers these days? Yep, they're still out there. They're still out there. Um, versus and that's where the, you, you kind of get paid. That's where you make your money at being able to to find those deals. And, um, you know, whether it's uh, we picked up a property this past Friday that came on the MLS and uh, you know that that was a deal there. For course, a deal source there, we're working directly with the listing agent to get that property. But there's different strategies to market. It's no different than you know McDonald's and Coca-Cola. That um, as a business owner, that you you find the motivated list. Uh, you're pulling the the list of notice of defaults of who's going into pre foreclosure, uh, who's filing a probate. Um, executor documents at the courthouse. Who's uh, who has code violation? Um, who just came through eviction court? All this free information um, um, at the courthouse that you can request through uh, the Freedom of Information Act through a FOIA request. And once you get that information, it's just a matter of figuring out how do you want to um, to reach out to those individuals to let them know the services that you have as a real estate investor and how you can solve their potential problem that they have um, that involves a house. And so I think, you know, whether it's a, you know, a phone call, a text message, uh, a certified letter, a postcard in the mail, you know, a... Um, ads that you're running on Facebook or Google or anything like that. They're just figuring out, hey, now once you understand where these people are and who, who you can help, is just now being able to figure out how best to get your message out in front of them. Because one of the things I think there was a 5.4 million transactions in 2021. I think we were down to 4 million in 2022, but roughly around 10 percent of those transactions. So about five thousand five hundred thousand transactions happen without a real estate agent. So there's still a lot of transactions happening across the board with that off market without a real estate agent being involved. Tell us the story of your first wholesale and how that uh, deal went down. Ah, so for the first wholesale for us um, and, and really with us, with my business model, when we wholesale, it's a deal in an area that we don't want to invest in or if it's a house or project that that has a higher risk profile. For us, we really like slab foundation properties, properties that, uh don't need foundation work where it's just really cosmetic. We're coming in, floor paint, cabinets, maybe a roof and a new furnace, HVAC, and we're in and we're out fairly quickly. Um, But my first wholesale deal, you know, was a deal working with a a tire landlord. He had actually owned the house and he sold it on terms. He seller financed this to someone um, really kind of on a lease to own. They were renting with the option to buy it and he had to end up foreclosing on them. And after the foreclosure, the house needed about forty thousand dollars worth of work, and uh, he didn't want to put the money in. He had owned it free and clear years and years ago. They had paid him a lump sum up front when they took the lease option to buy, and he didn't want to put the more money back in to taking back ownership of it and fixing it back up and renting it out or selling it, um, rent to own again. And so we were able to come in with that deal and pick it up and that was soon after we had transitioned to panama city florida in 2017 and uh probably about three months after we had got there i got hit with deployment orders and so i i I started deployment training usually you have about three or four months of training before you actually go out the door for six months and so kind of in the middle of that process and uh we had got that deal and so that was one of the things where like i had training coming up I wasn't going to leave the wife trying to manage all of that. And we hadn't built a team yet. So I chose to, to wholesale the deal. And so it worked out really good. I just called up uh, a couple real estate investors who had signs out that were marketing on the street corner. They had the bandit signs as we call them out. I called their phone number. I was like, hey, I got this house under contract. Do you have anybody on your buyers list that may want to buy? It? And lo and behold, we worked out a deal with an investor out of Nashville who came in. And uh, I think we, we, we ended up making like, 10,000 on that deal, and uh, we ended up paying the, the wholesaler or investor that brought the buyer to the deal. They ended up making like 2,500 on it. And so, um, yeah, it was a pretty sweet deal. Uh-huh, very good. So we're about four minutes to go. We're just going to give us a rough sense
1: of what difference it'll make in people's lives if they learn about real estate investing as kind of
2: you already done as an example. No, I think it it, it it's, a, it's a no-brainer that uh, real estate is one vehicle. There's many vehicles out there. Um, that can get you uh, time freedom, because at the end of the day, you know, you, it doesn't take a thousand units. You know, there's a lot of people that talk about how many doors they have and things like that. But you can you can become financially free owning five or 10 houses um, and, and picking up those houses over time, paying them off. And just that passive income, that money that's generated month in and month out can be life changing. Whereas that now you're not able to have to go and work a job that maybe you don't like. Or, you're, you know, you don't have to work 50, 60 hours and not be able to be there for the sports games, the recitals. You're missing events. You're always on the road. Things like that. It just gives you the opportunity to have your expenses paid for where you're not having to trade your time. And now you have more time to spend with your loved ones. Um, you can volunteer uh, with organizations that you're passionate about for whatever those causes may be for working with charity. Or you may want to travel, whatever it is, it gives you the flexibility and the options now where you don't have to work and trade all your time for money. And if you love what you're doing and then, then that's fine. But, you know, I think that's the same thing. A lot of times right now we uh, we get caught up in you know, we got to go to school. We got to get a good job. Then we become, you know, beholden to the job now because if we lose our job, all our eggs are in one basket. And uh, especially now we see all the layoffs that a lot of people, we pick up more and more consumer debt and we're just we have to stay in the job. We have to chase the next promotion just to stay afloat. And, uh, you know, the more the more time that you dedicate to getting out of that circle and to get out of that hamster wheel way and get out of the, essentially get out of the rat race. That it allows you just to get your time back because i'm a true believer that you know I, we we weren't put on the earth just to be sitting in cubicles 40 50 hours a day just to get two days off in order to recharge our batteries to go back and do it again
1: yeah very good well we've learned a lot my guest this hour has been johnny lineham he's a real estate expert also in the air force his book is called millionaire real estate success strategies what they forgot to teach you in school we've learned a lot about investing in real estate in the last hour. And you can find out more at his website, johnnylinem.com. Thanks so much. You've been a very great guest on Money Answer Show, Johnny. Awesome. Thank you for having me again, Jordan. Thanks again. And we'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now.
0: Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.